This is episode 509 of the Leaving Laodicea broadcast, and my name is Steve McCraney. As we grow closer to Christ and begin to experience the higher Christian life, we find our ability to experience his word also is enhanced. After all, experience his word and experiencing him go hand in hand. I mean, one feeds the other. And our faith grows when we take his word seriously and ask him to place us in situations or circumstances that will test our faith in his promises and commands and then allow our faith to grow to maturity based on that testing. This is how we know personally and by experience that his word is true and can be trusted. And this is how we begin to experience the higher Christian life. So we're going to look at just one if-then promise and subsequent blessing and see if we can bank our life on the fact that it's true. And this truth is from 1 John 2, 15-17. Here's what it says. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Why? For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Again, why? For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, becoming worthless, of no value, and the lust of it also of no value. But, and here's this contrast and the blessing, he who does not just knows, but does the will of God abides forever. Let's take some time and see what this amazing warning, command, and promise and blessing has in store for each of us as we learn how to leave Laodicea behind. From last week. We talked about what we need to learn from the early church. What were they like? Not necessarily how tall or short they were, how muscular they were, what kind of job they had, but what did they think? How did they view life in general? What was the power that was behind their faith? Because they did things in the early chapters of the book of Acts I've never seen in any culture or read about it except what we have in scripture. And then we have this whole teaching built up where, well, that was just for them, and all those power moves of God ceased with the closing of the canon, and so therefore we shouldn't expect God to move in our midst that way, but events in other countries tell us otherwise. How did God use these people who aren't as educated as we are, who don't have the ease of life that we have? We have far more disposable hours in our day than they ever had. We have Christian podcasts, and we have Christian TV, and Christian music, and Christian movies. We have multiple Bibles of multiple translations available to us. We have apps. We have software. It's so much easier for us than it was then, but how did God turn the world upside down using them and hasn't done it through us? What was their commitment like? I try to imagine I tried to imagine this week in my mind's eye, I tried to imagine being in one of their worship services, assuming that the um, person leading that, whoever it was, would open up like I did today. Hey, would anybody like to share anything God has shown or done through you this week as an edification to the body of Christ? 
And I can imagine everybody just, yes, and when someone would share something over here, how God did something to be clapping, and yes, and encouragement. I mean, who knows how long it took for that to happen. I've never, ever in my entire life been in a church where a statement like that is made and more than just one or two people raise their hands. And I don't know if it's because we're ashamed or we're, I don't really feel comfortable talking out loud, or maybe what God did in my life is really not worthy sharing for everybody else. And I do know that if the first person stands up and says, I had cancer and I'm cured, nobody ever says anything after that. But, um, but again, how often do we hear that happening? And, and so I'm, I was wondering what it would be like to be in a worship service. Would I be intimidated to the core of my being? Would I be shocked? Yes. But you know, when, hey, what are you, you going to do right now? Well, I'm going to go home and take a nap. It's no, no, come on. We're going to go down to the fish market down there and get some fish for tonight and see if we can win somebody for Jesus. Oh, you're one of those. Well, who's one of those? Oh, you're a real Christian and not a cultural Christian like, like we are. I mean, what was their commitment like? And, and, and that commitment, how it impacted their lives and the lives of those around them, what must it have been like? So this week, I just wanted to start with our mindset. I mean, the Enlightenment says, I think, therefore I am. And so if I can understand mentally what they were thinking, maybe I could understand the power or the reasoning behind some of their actions. So I asked the question, what did they know that we don't know? What knowledge did they have that we don't have? What was, is hidden to us that was revealed to them? And the answer is nothing. We actually know far more than they do cognitively. We may not know it gnosko, we may not know it experientially, but we have Logos Bible software and Blue Letter Bible and the ability to have books like this where we can look up words and see the meaning of, they didn't have any of that kind of stuff. Some of them probably couldn't even read. I mean, we have a, an immense amount of knowledge. We have apologetics and stuff of that nature that we can you know, accurately defend our faith against a secular culture. We have training out there and courses that you can take. And they, they didn't know anything that we don't know, which raises the next question. What did they believe that we don't believe? And you're going to find the answer is a lot, a lot. Because to them, it wasn't just knowledge up here because their life depended upon it. It was down here in the recesses of their soul where they took seriously God's word. If you remember, when we talked about trying to experience God's word, the way you do that is you read it and then you have to come to some mental understanding whether you believe it's true. Yes, I believe this is true. Well, if this is true, then I need to ask the Lord to put me in a situation to, again, like John's verse, to, to test me and try me in this, to put me in a situation where I have to live by my belief, to know that it's true and be able to line my life up with what God actually says. Many times in church, what we do is, yeah, I believe it. Right here, I, I believe it, but it doesn't really have any impact in my life because I'm still doing my life my way. Nevertheless, I believe it's true, but I'm only going to trust God when things get really bad as long as I can handle them. I'm going to do that myself. So I was asking the Lord to show me a verse, just show me a passage that they obviously believed more than we believe. 
And there's a passage here in 1 John chapter 2. It is very familiar. We've read it over and over again. In the men's class, we taught it. And when we did the youth years ago, we went through this. I've preached on this before. Very familiar passage. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. Okay, yawn. Why? If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I don't even understand what that means. For all that is in the world, and then it lists some negative stuff here, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Okay. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Let's be candidly blunt with each other. We read the passage, and we, okay, that, that's a really good passage. I think I'm going to memorize that. I'm going to quote that next Sunday. I'm going to share those three or four verses here. But what do they mean? How do they impact me? Do, do I line my life up with that? Is it ever fleshed out in my life like it was them? So here's what we do. Um, in also trying to share with you how to discover this stuff yourself, we take a passage like this and we ask some questions. Simple. The who, what, where, why, defined as, how much, just questions that naturally flow. Do not love the world, okay, or what, or the things of the world. Those are two totally different issues. Why? Why would you say that, God? Why should I not love the world or the things, if we define things of the world? Because it says if anyone, it's an if-then passage, if anyone loves the world, then, the consequence, the love of the Father is not in him. Gosh, that's like a black and white thing here. Why? Why is the love of the Father not in the person who loves the world? For all that is in the world, all. And he defines this not as the good things, but the things that trap us. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Go back and read Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. This is exactly how Eve was tempted. She saw that it was good for fruit, and she realized, wow, it's really great to be wise, and I could have the knowledge of God. Everything that Eve went through is exactly what it's talking about here, but it says it's not of the Father. We have two contrasts, but is of the world. Am I supposed to care? I mean, as a Christian living today, does it really bother me that some things are of the world and some things are of the Father? I've been taught that I have to live in both of them, so I embrace both of them. I'm not really totally godly, but I'm not really totally worldly. I'm kind of stuck in the middle. Isn't that okay? Can't I have my church friends and my lost friends? Can I have my spiritual music and my other music? Can I have my good stuff and my bad stuff, but not the really bad stuff that you saved me from? Can't I just live... In the middle, why is it so black and white? Simply this, the world is passing away. And then it defines, not just the world itself, but the lust of the world, whatever that word means. But, second contrast, he who does, not just knows, we're not talking about just a mental knowledge, we're talking about that knowledge now transformed into action, action that will bring upon you the rebuke of this world and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides, as that John 15 word, forever. So I'm reading it, 
and I'm, I want to understand it a little bit, so I'm simply asking some questions. And then I want to look at it a little differently. I want to ask some questions of the text. And one thing I noticed, first of all, from an accounting standpoint, I have a macro view and a micro view. I've got a global view, and then we're focusing it down to a pinpoint view. Do not love the world, the huge world, however that word is defined, nor all the way down here, there's a little point to my personal life. It's not just out there anymore. Now the spotlight is pointing on me and my affections or the things in the world. Things. Well, when I first think of that, are things like what? Like inanimate objects, like houses and cars and monies and vacation. No, it's also an inanimate thing. It could be reputation. It could be pleasure. It could be anything in the world. It could be my children. Doesn't have to be evil things. It could be good things, valuable things, things that I love. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Why? Well, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. This is an either-or proposition. This is just like God. God is always black or white. He's never gray. God is always hot or cold. He's never lukewarm. As a matter of fact, he hates lukewarm. Warm. A tree produces good fruit or bad fruit. It doesn't produce eh kind of fruit. It's good or bad. God, as you, you build your house on the rock, you build your house on the sand. How about a combination of two? Never an option. We in the church today try to make play everything in the middle, big tent, consensus. Can't I have a little of the world and a little of God? And can't I, can't I just be happy with doing the things that I want to do? If I just give God his share, why can't it be about me? He never says he makes us better. He says he puts us to death. He gives us something far greater than anything we can imagine. But we all grew up, I grew up in a Western view of Christianity where it's not like that at all. It's just something to make me better rather than to make me New. For all. We're going to look at that word in a minute. It's pos. It means everything. Everything. There's no exception for all that is in or of the world. Good, bad, indifferent. And then he defines these. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world is of no value. The world is passing away. It has no lasting value. It brings no eternal reward. It brings nothing. I mean, you can experience your 50, 60, 70, 80, maybe 90 years here on, on earth, but everything you acquire, everything that you've done is left to someone else. It's almost like as you get older like I am, you find that all the movie stars and the rock stars and the media people that I knew when I was growing up that are about 20 years older than I am, and they're all dropping like flies. And then the people that were old, that were very popular when I was young, Paul Newman, do y'all remember him, by the way? John Wayne, people like that. I mean, don't even, you don't even remember who they are anymore. And then for my parents, the people that they followed, we didn't even know about them. And the world in which we live in, the demand so much of us is passing away, and so are the lust of it. No lasting value, but he who does, that's from the James passage, being a doer of the word, the will of God abides 
forever. All right. So I've read it twice. I've asked some questions, and I'm troubled. I'm troubled with the black and white part. I'm troubled with the either or. I'm troubled with the fact that I'm faced or forced into two camps. My, two. There's no middle ground. There's no, can I just get a C? And well, why is it always pass or fail? Can't I just kind of get by but not be as good as other people? It doesn't work that way. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him for all that is in the world. By the way, we may struggle with this. If you read the book of Acts, the early church did not. They knew exactly what this teaching meant. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life are not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is transitory. The world will not last forever. The world is not your home. This world is not Christ's kingdom when he was living on this world. It will someday be, but it's not now. But, incredible contrast, he who does, which brings upon you the attention of the evil one, he who does the will of God abides forever. So I'm looking at this verse again, and I notice a couple things pop out. First, I see the word love three times. What does that mean? Which love is this? What does it mean to love something like this? And then I notice the world, which is the object of this love, is mentioned over and over again. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the, for all that is in the world, but is of the world. World, 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 world. Okay. So what I did, what I want to encourage you to do, if you want to experience God's word, you need to camp on a passage and sit down on a passage and don't leave that passage until God speaks to you. So that's what we're going to do here. Lord, I need you to speak to me. All right, let's define some words. Showed you how to do that. It's not hard. You go on Blue Letter Bible, you pull up this passage, you see what the Strong's word is. The Strong's word is 26. I take this dictionary here or some other software that you may use. I turn to number 26 and I look and I see exactly what the word says. It gives me examples. It, it shows other verses. So I can kind of define the topics here. I find that the word agapeo is used three times in this passage. It's the same word. Do not love the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The same word used to describe my love of the world, whichever word that is, is the same word to describe what I will not have from the Father. Wow, that's like a scary transaction here. The word means to love with a strong affection indicating a direction of the will and finding one's joy in something or someone. It means I love it so much I'm going after it. I love it so much that I find joy in going after it, of acquiring it, of participating in it, whatever it is. It's not a passive love, it's an active love. It's a desire to reach out and become one with what I love. So let's think about that for a second. And so as you're studying your Bible, stop and just lean up, take a breath and think about that. Lord, what does that mean? 
and give him time to tell you or let your mind focus on what it means. What are the implications of this? I'm not to love the world. I don't love the world. I hate this world. Jesus, take me home. Or the things of the world. That's getting personal. Sure, I love things. I love money. I love cars. I love vacations. I love my house. I love my children. I love my reputation. I love my free time. I love my entertainment. I love the way I look. I love the clothes that I wear. I love me. I now it's getting personal. Can't we just keep it out there? No. No, because loving the world is just a combination of the things in the world. And the sobering part to me is the fact that it's almost like God in Romans chapter 1, and because of this, God gave them up. You know, to experience the consequences of their own actions, it's like this, fine. Whatever degree you love something other than me is the degree that you don't have my love in you. You have your love. You have your carnality, but not my love. All right, so what's the object of this? The object of this love. It says, do not love the world. By now, this should be a very familiar word to you. It means cosmos. It doesn't mean the physical world but it means the world's system. It means what the world loves. It means its order, its standards, its nature. If the world loves Hollywood, we love Hollywood. If the world loves rock stars, we love rock stars. If the world loves professional sports, we love professional sports. If the world dresses this way, we dress this way because we want to be loved by the world. If the world has this prevailing opinion of something, we have the same opinion of it because we want to be loved by the world. We want to adopt its mindset. We want to adopt its way of viewing things, its nature. We want to adopt what it considers success. And if you read those first eight or nine chapters in the book of Acts, you will find the early church did the exact opposite of that. The exact opposite of that. They were so shockingly different than the world that they found favor by their commitment to that with everyone. Read Acts chapter 2. But in God's kingdom, it's always either or. Jesus talked about light has come into the world and the darkness hated the light because the light exposed the evil deeds of darkness. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus again talking about a church who didn't want to be light and darkness, but instead wanted to live in the, the lukewarm kind of gray area in between those two. And Christ found that so offensive, he wanted to vomit that church out of its mouth. Do you remember? Karen quoted a verse today from 1 John that says, you know, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And if God lives in you and you are light, he expects us to have no darkness in us at all. Yet, if we claim to live in the light and walk, that's our deeds, in darkness, we're a liar. And we're a liar not the fact that we're walking in darkness. Everybody can see that we're a liar in saying that we claim to have fellowship with the light. None of us were raised that way. 
None of us in church were raised that way. The church has done everything they can to dampen the light of Christ and move us to the center because that's kind of where things get done. That's, that's what keeps the crowds big, that you can have your kind of carnal, sinful life, not as bad as it used to be, but not what Christ wants you to be, and still feel good about yourself. We're okay as six, sevens, and eights. The early church did not view it that way. So here's the scary part. What are some of the things of the world that we love? Well, why don't you take a calendar out and look and see what you spend most of your time doing? See uh, what you sacrifice relationships with your children for. What you pray and ask God to forgive you of every time you do it again. That how offended we get when somebody says something bad about us because we're number one. We love us. I mean, what do we love? And why does God always make it an either or? Because he does. I'm asking you, if you think this is just me, because I'm struggling with this like you are, show me a place in scripture where God says it's okay to live in the middle. We pride ourselves in being able to live in the middle. A little bit of this, a little bit of that, but I'm okay. Uh, where are you spiritually? I mean, if you were 10, would we be way over? Yeah, but I'm not, because I just don't want to let go of some of these things, because it makes me feel good. It's just what I want to do. I feel uncomfortable doing this. So I'm okay as an eight or a four, because that's, that's all we've been taught. That's all that's been preached. I mean, it's, it's been my entire experience in church until I go back to the book of Acts and the teachings of Jesus, and if you take them seriously, you see things differently. Why is there not a middle ground, Lord? Why is there not an area of compromise? Our politicians compromise, and every time they do, they give up part of what defines them as who they are for some greater good. I'm willing to, I'm willing to accommodate evil so I don't have to have conflict anymore. It's all negotiation except with God. He is God Almighty. He is sovereign. He doesn't negotiate with anyone, and I don't believe he wants his children to do that. Okay. I got the part about God loving the world. No, you're not loving the world or the things in the world. I know that if anyone loves the world, that the love of God is not found in him. That's scary. Does that mean that God doesn't love me? That's not what it says. It means that I don't have the love of God in me to love others or to love him or to experience him in a way like I never have before. Why? Second part, for all that is in the world. Let me tell you why I don't want you to love in the world. Everything that is in the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. That what you're doing is you're loving and devoting yourself to something that is not of God. What do the words mean? I don't want to miss this. Pos means, as I've shared with you before, it means all, every, each, in totality, everything without exception. There's no all but all except. It's all. 
everything in the world system, in the nature, the world system that crushed the disciples, the world system that killed our Lord. Everything in this world, good or bad, everything. And then it defines some of these as lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. All of it is not of the Father, but of this world satanic system. How, how does that happen? So I'm looking here, and I'm seeing a few things jump out at me, teaching you how to do this. I see the word lust here, I see the word lust there, and I see the word pride. Three items of negativity, not real positive here. It doesn't say the, you know, the virtue of giving, the virtue of a mother's love for her child. It says lust, lust, pride. Okay, and then it tells me it's lust of the flesh. We know that's wrong. Lust of the eyes, what I want to acquire, oh, that looks good. Or the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. So I need to know what those words mean. Again, it's a process that takes about, listen very carefully, 15 minutes. 15 minutes to look them up. All, well, I've already know the word love. I've got that defined. I have the word world defined all through this passage. Then I have the word all. I know what that means. Then I have this word lust. And it's listed twice. Then there's the word pride. And then the most incredible word in this passage is the word life. There are two primary Greek words that are used in the New Testament for life. One is zoe, which is breath. It's a spiritual life. It's a quality of life. And one is bios where we get biography from. That just means physical life. Life, the duration of life, is devoid of any sort of moral, quantitative kind of attribute. And that's what it's talking about here. So what do the words mean? All that is in the world, the lust, the lust, the pride. The word lust means an intense or great desire for some particular thing, a longing or lust to satisfy the carnal cravings. What it means in the Greek. We always associate lust with some sort of sexual sin, lusting after her or lusting after some magazine or some, something of that nature, but it's not what it means. You can lust after anything. I want it. I want it. Well, how bad do you want it? I want it enough to cheat. I want it enough to lie. I want it enough to skirt the truth. I want it enough to sacrifice my relationship with the Lord. I want it enough to, to lower my moral standards. I want it enough to, to think about it all the time, to devote my time to it. We could lust after our family. We could lust after prestige. We could lust after a promotion. We could lust after money, possessions. We could lust after many, many things. I just have to have an intense or great desire. Never heard anybody say they lust after the Lord. I have an intense or great desire to have a deeper relationship with him. No, 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 no. That, that's set aside. It's always something else that draws our attention. And then I had this word pride. Pride. Lust of the flesh. Lust of the eyes. Lust of my carnal nature. Lust of what I see that I want. That guy has a better house than me. I want that house. He makes more money than I do. I want to beat him when it comes to making money. I want a bigger boat or bigger house, bigger vacation. I want the job. I want people to look at me. I want to be important. 
The word pride means an arrogant boasting of what one does or does not possess. And this boasting does not have to be verbal. This boasting can be internal. It can be in your own heart, in your own soul. It's the pompous showing off of the manner of life, the ambitious pursuits of the glories, honors, rewards that come in this life. In our culture, we find somebody who is successful, and we always define that by money and possessions. Well, that's a successful man. He started with one little shopping cart selling hot dogs, and now he has franchises all over the Southeast. What a successful man. How did you become successful? Man, I was totally devoted to it. It's all I talked about, all I cared about. I spent 18 hours a day just focusing on this business, and now I'm reaping the benefit of my success. And we exalt people like that. But the scripture doesn't. The pride of life, bios. Wow, this is, uh, this, this is the one that shocked me to the core, bios. The world translated bios does not mean the quality of one's life regarding soul or spirit. Doesn't matter whether you're saved are not saved, doesn't matter whether you're committed to Christ or not committed to Christ, doesn't matter with the condition of your soul at all. That word is Zoe. Instead, it means literally the duration of your life, the manner or mode of your living. It means your money, your possessions, your health, all the rudimentary bio parts of our life. In essence, the word means to pass one's life without reference to his external or spiritual, eternal or spiritual quality, but his focus is on the livelihood or possessions accumulated in this physical life on earth, that every single dime will be left to someone else who didn't work for it, including our government. All that is in the world that we focus on, the, the desire of the flesh, I want, I need, gimme, 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 gimme the desire of the eyes. Oh, I see that. I want that. That, that should be me. I'm going to work hard for that. And the pride of just what I accumulate in this life, every single bit of it is not of the Father. It's of the world. It's of the world. Read the early church. Read how they held on to possessions. Read about their own personal property. Read about them talking about the jobs they had and the careers that they built and the businesses they established. It's never there. It's never there. It's not there in the first century. It's not there in the first three centuries of the church. Never does the church focus on what we in the West do, what I have always been taught in church. So what does this mean? You pause and reflect. I, mean, what, what, I see what the words say. Do the words really mean what they say? Or, or, or I, yeah, I, I don't even want to, I don't want to read that stuff. I'm just going to pass on that. We'll start at verse 18, talking about the Antichrist, because then I can kind of get my head puffed up with stuff. I don't, I don't even know. How did the early church live out this truth? Read it. Read it. What did they believe about what's important in this life that maybe we've forgotten? or maybe that we take for granted. You know, in the early church, they worked to support their families and pay their bills. They didn't work, and they were never defined by their work. Hey, uh, my name is Steve. 
Hey, Steve. Uh, my name's Frank. Hey, Frank, how you doing? What do you do? First thing we ask. What do you do? Oh, well, I own a, I own a small auto repair business and uh, down on uh, 321. Oh, okay. I'm judging him by his business. Oh, I'm um, executive uh, vice president of uh, Bank of America. Oh, okay. That's a good job. Must have education. Must make pretty good money on that one. Uh, what do you do? Um, I'm just, uh, I'm the guy that puts stickers on you when you come into Sam's. Oh, we all do that. Versus this. Hey, my name is Steve. What do you do? It doesn't matter what I do. Let me tell you who I am. Man, I'm a child of the king. I'm uh, saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, I spend my life, whatever I'm doing, for his glory. Do you know him? They don't want to hang around people like that. People like that are not cool in our culture right now. But they were back then. So are they right and we're wrong? Or were they wrong and we're right? Or have just things changed and Jesus doesn't want us to be so black and white today? What would our life look like if we modeled the early church? And I do hope you read that this week. Would we change? And if so, how do you think God would bless us? Let me bring this to a close. Do not love the world. Do not have a strong, deep affection for the world system. This world system belongs to Satan. It does not belong to Christ. We belong to Christ. We're light and darkness. We're emissaries and ambassadors. This world is not our home. And if you don't love the world, definitely don't love the things of the world, the trinkets and toys that we spend our life trying to accumulate. None of that matters. If anyone does love the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. There's not a place in each of us for the love of God and the love of this world. God does not share his glory with anyone. Well, why, God? Why are you saying that? It's really simple. All that's in the world, everything that we get up in the morning and we want to achieve, we lust for, we strive for, all that's in the world that feeds our flesh, that feeds our eyes, and just keeps us alive in the standard of living we think we deserve. The bios of life is not of the Father, but of the world. Why? Well, obviously, as we would tell our children, God doesn't want you to be concerned with things that don't last. I have an 18-year-old son, and my son is getting ready to decide what he wants to do with his life, and he's decided to commit his life to something absolutely frivolous. And we're heartbroken. Oh, listen, you don't understand. I, I'm older than you. I know how the world works. You're just an 18-year-old kid. You think you know everything. Talk to me when you're 24, and then you'll see what it's really like. And what you're doing is you're wasting your life. You're, you're giving the best years of your life for a frivolous pursuit. It's not going to matter at all. Fathers have conversations like that with their children all the time. God wants to have that conversation with us. You are accumulating your self-worth and your definition by not whose you are, child of the king, but on what you possess or the reputation you have in a fallen world system. And none of it is of me, he says. So I don't want you to waste your life on things that don't last. I want you to spend your life on the things that do. 
And so he ends with verse 17. Here's what he says. And the world is passing away. Don't love something that's going to pass away. And the lust of that are passing away. But he who does the will of his Father abides forever. Let me just close with this. And the world, the cosmos, is passing away. It means to disappear, to perish, to no longer exist. And the lust of the world, it's not going to last. Everything that we have spent our life trying to accumulate because we spent our time doing that rather than obeying God, do you think we're going to show that to God at the Bema Seat Judgment? Hey, well, you don't understand. I mean, I, I, I like supported some missionaries. Well, that's, that's good. That's, that's, that's a good thing. But, but does that justify everything else? No, you, you understand. I mean, my heart was in the right place. I, I tried not to cheat anybody, and I, I tried to do my very best. And, and in America, we never go from smaller to smaller. We always go from where we're at to something bigger, a better car, a bigger house. And, I mean, that's what we do. By the time our kids are out of the house, you know, my wife and I are sitting in a house that has 17 bedrooms that we don't need anymore, but oh, no, no, we can't invite people to come live with us because that violates our space. And you don't understand, God. No, I totally understand. But the one thing he's given us is our life, the breath, the time we have right now. How have we spent it? And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does, that means to carry out or perform an action or course of action. It means to produce, bring about, cause something to happen. It means not just think, well, I'm a Christian, but I spent all my life doing my own stuff for me. It means, no, to act upon our faith. He who does the will of God. And again, this word will, you can look it up yourself. It's not a demand. It's not an Old Testament command. Thus saith the Lord, do it or I'll whack you. It's not what it is. It's a desire to bring pleasure to him. It means to put a smile on his face. He who does as a dutiful child the will of God abides. Love that word from John 15. To remain, dwell, live, to make their home, I will be united with him in one heart, mind, soul, and will forever. Forever. One, one passage Three verses that they knew. They understood the concept. And as we read this, we're thinking, oh, I can't do that. I mean, I, I, don't, I, don't, I feel uncomfortable even listening to this message. I'd rather go listen to Joel Osteen or something of that nature because that's, that's just not how, no, no, no. That's not how I was raised. It's not what I was taught. That's not one of my sincerely held convictions. My sincerely held convictions, I work hard. I make a lot of money. I retire with a bunch of money. And I want to bless God with it. But that's what my life consists of, of my possessions. Where are we at spiritually? Well, I'm an eight, okay? I don't have time to be anything but an eight. Probably not even an eight. We're going to say an eight. And you know what? God's cool with that. He is not. He's not. But we've all been raised that way, including me. And as we start comparing what the, how the early church lived in the face of turmoil and trials to how we've been raised and how we're going to live in the face of turmoils and trials, they lost a the possession. They didn't care because their life didn't consist of what they owned. We lose a possession. We're devastated. Government takes something from us, which they may. We're crushed because our identity is tied up in something other than him. 
you know the passage? Do not love the world or the things in the world. You define things. If you do, love of Christ, love of God that you have for others is not in you. For everything that's in the world, everything you want, the lust, the pride of life, everything that you spend your life is all passing away. It doesn't stand. It means nothing. But the good news is he who does the will of God rests and abides forever. Shared with you the first time we talked about this. The early church lived as if they truly believed these words, not understood them, but that they trusted God to make it true in their lives, and he did. So the question God asked me, and I really wish that I wasn't doing this series, it'd be easier to talk about something else, but the question he asked me was this, Steve, is your standard, is my standard for you different than it was for the early church? In other words, is it just America? This godly nation is turning this world upside down because of our wealth and freedom of religion that we have. Is it just America in the waning years of the, what are we, the 21st century now? You know, is it just us that gets a pass? Or is my word true for all generations? And if so, what kind of desire do we have to live like him? So here's what I said. I said, Lord, um, you know what? That doesn't apply to me. I found a loophole. Really, what's your loophole? Oh, the loophole is really simple. The loophole is the fact I don't love the world like that. I don't, I don't love the world agapeo. I don't love anything agapeo. I don't, no, no, that doesn't apply to me. I'm just kind of friends with the world. I just kind of have a you know, a buddy kind of relationship with the world. So this passage doesn't count for me. Which leads us to the one I'm going to give you this week. So if you would, go turn to, turn to uh, James. I'm just going to read this to you. Chapter 4. And I want to show you um, how even my excuse didn't work. James chapter 4. Here is the preamble. By the way, in case you're interested... In this preamble here, to show you how personal this is, watch. Uh, where do wars and fights come from among you? Uh, your desires, your, your members, you lust, you murder, implied and covet. You fight, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. In these three verses... 18% of the words in these three verses is you or yours. And that's convicting. Bang, 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 bang. And then we get to verse number four, which we're going to talk about. I'm seeing some emails this week. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that? What does your word say? Friendship? That's the second form of the Greek word. That's philios. Friendship with the world is hostility and hatred and enmity with God. Whoever therefore wants to be, have a desire, I don't want to be light and darkness. Let me just be gray area so they'll leave me alone and I can kind of be successful. Whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So I told the Lord it doesn't apply to me. And he said, yeah, it applies to everybody. 
And if you can't get caught on the first John passage, the James 4 passage will get you for sure. A friendship. By the way, just so you're interested, the word friendship means affection, regard, fondness, tenderness. It's kind of a buddy with the world. And when that happens, we become, we make ourselves enemies of God. Now, I'm only sharing this with you because I want you to see the mindset that the early church had. You know, we come to Christ and we ask him to make our life better. It's how it's pitched in church. You know, you become, you become a follower of Christ, he'll make you better. They understood that when they came to Christ, he made them new, new. We don't mind being made new if we can still control our lives. I want to be made new, but I want to do what I want to do. You just make me do it better or help me in a jam or something. That's foreign to the early church. But we'll deal more with that next week. I'm going to send this James passage to you. And I'm going to ask you to, uh, I'm going to do the heavy lifting for you. I'm going to define the words for you. Uh, I'm not going to try to limit my commentary on it. But I want you this week, in addition to looking at the book of Acts, is to... Uh, Look at that passage and see, does this really mean what it says? I mean, if it's not, I mean, in, in the Greek, there's six different words which translated love, primarily just three in the New Testament, agapeo, philios, and eros. There's a God kind of love. There's a friendship kind of love. There's an intimate, passionate, sexual kind of love. We don't have that kind of love for the world. We set that aside. We have just those two. James says that if you love the world passionately, deeply, spend your time trying to make something out of the world, love of God is not in you because it's all passing away. James says if you just want to be a friend of the world, which covers the other group of people, that you make yourself an enemy of God. They knew that. We've either forgotten that, haven't been taught that, or have been taught that and rejected that to our own peril. So pray about this, and I would love to see next week how God speaks to you about it. Amen? Remember, developing the mindset of the early church since we're soon to suffer like they suffered. Let me pray.